Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Can we have all these Ethereum Solana-like applications built directly on top of Bitcoin? That's the core thing, and that sounds simple, but uh, doing it is actually much, much harder because you need to figure out how to trustlessly move BTC from the main Bitcoin layer into the smart contract layer and then back. Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Nexo.io, Circle, and Kraken, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Thursday, December 29th, and today my guest is Munib Ali, the CEO of Trustpilots. Before we get into that, however, if you're enjoying The Breakdown, please go subscribe to it, give it a rating, give it a review, or if you want to dive deeper into the conversation, come join us on The Breakers Discord. You can find a link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash breakdown pod. All right, guys. So as I mentioned, today my guest is Munib Ali. Munib is a founder of Stacks, which has spent the last few years trying to build a Bitcoin layer for smart contracts. Munib is also the CEO of Trust Machines, which builds applications on that Stacks Bitcoin DeFi layer. In our conversation today, we discuss where Stacks and Trust Machines came from, Bitcoin as a base layer for truly decentralized finance, historical shifts in Bitcoin or community attitudes, and much, much more. This is a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. All right, Munib, welcome back to The Breakdown. How are you doing, sir? I am doing good. How are you? Good. It's great to have you. It's super fortuitous. So this came up on Twitter uh, the other day. You uh, you kind of announced a couple interesting papers that had come out that you guys were a part of, and someone said, "Hey, you got to get Munib or you know someone from Stacks back on the uh, back on the show." And I'd actually already planned to to invite you guys for uh, for these end of year shows. So uh, for those who don't know you, can you give just a, a quick quick introduction to yourself uh, to Stacks to Trust Machines? Just tell us what you do. Yes. So I think uh, Stacks is a, a Bitcoin layer for smart contracts. So I started the project in like 20, 2017 or so. Over time, it has decentralized a lot. Um, on a day-to-day basis, I am the CEO of this company called Trust Machines that has the mission of building uh, Bitcoin applications. So we use Stacks as a technology along with other things like Lightning and DLCs and, and, and so on. Awesome. And so uh, so just just so people really have, have a sense of kind of what the maybe maybe try to give a state of kind of um what's what you've been working on within the 
Bitcoin ecosystem specifically? What sort of, you know, what, what has been building? And maybe uh, an even sort of more important question is, what was missing that made you want to kind of build this, this stacks layer and then, you know, the, sort of everything that can be built on top of that? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question. I would say this has been one of the, the biggest uh, challenges or unlocks in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Like imagine that uh, Vitalik actually tried proposing uh, fully expressive smart contracts on top of Bitcoin. And there are many re good reasons why people don't want that. The Bitcoin core does don't want it because you want the Bitcoin uh, base layer to be simple and it just focuses on being, you know, uh, hard money and being a settlement layer. And then Vitalik went off and created Ethereum. And we've seen that, you know, there is a lot of interest in building with fully expressive smart contracts and with having applications like Uniswap, which is decentralized trading, or OpenSea, which is, you know, a marketplace for NFTs. So those applications have a place and Bitcoin as a money layer has a place. And where, where Stacks comes in is, can we have a Bitcoin layer? So think like, you know, uh, an L2 like Lightning, which is good for, for faster payments. But can we have all these Ethereum, Solana-like applications built directly on top of Bitcoin? Right. That's the, that's the core thing. And that sounds simple, but uh, doing it is actually much, much harder because you need to figure out how to trustlessly move uh, BTC from the main Bitcoin layer uh, into the smart contract layer and then back. Uh, which is the the trustless, uh, you know, or trust minimized is a more precise world uh, way uh, of moving BTC into the layer and back. And that's the paper that we released uh, recently, which is a collaboration with many, many kind of like, you know, computer scientists and researchers who've been, who've been working on similar things for, for a while. Uh, so at the high level, I would say this is about really unlocking the true value of BTC as an asset because then you can directly use it in applications in the in Bitcoin layers in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So if you want to take a USDC loan against your BTC from a smart contract, like you can go and do that, right? Like if you want to participate in a lending protocol, you can do it. If you want to trade uh, atomic swaps into a stable coin, you can go and do that, right? So this is this is what the the goal of the project is. And so let me ask you. This is a this may, may sound like a weird question, but I think it's actually probably a, a, an interesting way to come at it. Obviously, there's sort of a real hesitance within the Bitcoin community. Uh, there's a conservatism, right? Uh, that's sort of related based on exactly what you were describing. This sort of the, you know, first do no harm principle. Uh, as you have introduced this, obviously, you guys have had a very different stance than some Bitcoiners and some Bitcoin technologists around the right approaches to this. What do you think are the best uh, the worst critiques that you've seen, not just about you, but about anyone building on Bitcoin? versus not good critiques, but good concerns that are the same types of things that you guys are also concerned and thinking about? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. So first, um, a little bit of a context, right? So I, I've been in the Bitcoin um, ecosystem since like 2013. And I think there's a marked difference between uh, the attitude of the community between, let's say, 2012, 2011, even uh, to 2016, and very different between 2017 to to like 2021 or so, right? And the difference is that the back in the earlier days, people were actually much more interested in experimentation in discussing ideas. And there was a ton of interest and there's still some interest in the concept of like side chains and Bitcoin L2s. And the general idea is you go and experiment in side chains and L2s as much as possible, do whatever you want because you're not changing the base layer, right? And people are very intellectually interested 
uh, in things like NFTs, which actually started on Bitcoin. The very, even ICOs started on Bitcoin. Like there was a project called MasterCoin that did that. So a lot of this, these innovations, uh, they actually started from Bitcoin, but the divide really became, I think 2017 was this time, when Ethereum started attracting a lot of the builders uh, and they were much more, uh, and Bitcoin was going through a civil war, right? Like they were kind of like internally fighting with each other between bigger blocks, smaller blocks. And the culture really became that, you know, people who feel like they're defenders of Bitcoin, they are basically saying no to any change, right? They're saying, hey, don't change Bitcoin at all, which is helpful in some ways, but it also drives away potential innovation, right? And, and then a lot of builders are gaining momentum on other ecosystems and other chains. And just the total number of developers in the, in the Bitcoin ecosystem in the last four or five years uh, is, is relatively less. And I think we, we can acknowledge that, but Bitcoin still remains the largest, um, you know, crypto capital base, the most secure blockchain. So there's a little bit of a revival of Bitcoin builders culture, which I think is a very, very, very healthy thing. So in terms of criticism, I think the, the worst type of criticism is when people just write off all of these applications and say, we don't need this in Bitcoin. Like that's just a blanket statement, right? It's a very naive way of saying that there's no useful thing any developer can build, right? That's just, that's just like a blanket statement that makes no sense. Like especially uh, given the fact that if you look at Bitcoin trading, most of BDC, let's say when it's trading against stable coins, it happens on centralized exchanges like Binance and Coinbase. Uh, there's billions of dollars of trading that happens. And then Bitcoiners would be like, take your BTC off of exchanges. Well, great. But then there's no decentralized way of trading your BTC with, with, with stable coins, right? So you need to have real options on, on, on Ethereum, for example. Uniswap has the most liquid uh, ETH trading pools, right? It, people can just use, have self-custody of their assets. And if they want to swap into a stable coin, they can just do that without going to a centralized exchange. That is good for Bitcoin. That should be built in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Right. And I think it's applications like that. So that's the worst type of criticism where it's like a blanket statement. You know, all of these things are useless. Uh, we don't want any of that on Bitcoin. Absolutely not true. I think early Bitcoiners have this thesis that all of the useful applications from the rest of crypto would eventually be built on Bitcoin. And I think that's the right, right attitude towards it. And in terms of the good criticism, I think uh, there are very good criticisms about uh, you know, how is it this going to impact the Bitcoin L1, right? Are, are there going to be uh, MEV type opportunities, which is basically saying that miners are kind of like reorging the chain to extract certain value because now they can do that because of the L2, right? Uh, or, or criticism around, hey, are you going to increase the data embedded in the Bitcoin blockchain so much that a normal person on a laptop can't run a full node anymore? That's a very, very good uh, things to point out. And over the years, like we have been very, very careful about these things where the way the stacks layer is designed is that most of the data is in the stacks layer and Bitcoin is only getting a settlement. So you can do thousands of transactions on the stacks layer. Bitcoin is seeing very small amounts of data. So you still get the security benefit, but uh, you, you're not polluting the Bitcoin L1. Similarly, for the MEV type opportunities, uh, the miners are actually, it's much easier for them to reorg the, the, the Bitcoin layer stacks uh, than to try and attempt those attacks at the Bitcoin layer, right? Like the direct Bitcoin L1. So those are some really good good uh, critiques and there are technical solutions to these things which people can evaluate and see and say like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense that this, this problem is addressed. It sounds almost like part of it's just sort of the, the difference between general and specific. The bad critiques being uh, an unwillingness to, it's almost like an unwillingness to get to 
real points of concern versus theoretical points of concern and, and kind of find out if there are ways to address them or not. Yeah, I think I think it's also like this is this is something, you know, uh, whenever I criticize Bitcoin community, I do that as uh, in a friendly way. Like, you know, I, I consider myself a Bitcoiner and it's good to be self-critical like that. That's how you improve. Right. So one thing that I've noticed is that over time, the relative number of technical people in the Bitcoin community has actually gone down as a percent of the size of the, of the Bitcoin community. Whereas if you look at some other ecosystems, uh, there is, there's a much stronger concentration of developers, right? So in Bitcoin, sometimes what happens is that there are a handful of people that a lot of normal Bitcoin community members just look up to. They're like, I don't understand any of this. I'm just going to look at the opinion of like who these people are. And over time, the people, the technical people who have sort of like survived in the Bitcoin community, they're the ones who kind of like stick with this very much approach of like everything any change is bad. Don't make any changes. All the all the uh, all the NFTs are bad. Right? Like <laughs> all these things are bad. So there is now a bias that because you don't have a lot of technical people, you can't get into real nuanced discussions. And the ones that are so, sort of like survived, uh, they have a very negative bias toward, towards any application. So I, I would encourage people to to uh, think about this: that the more Builders and engineers and computer scientists that actively work in the Bitcoin ecosystem is extremely healthy for Bitcoin. And that would actually lead to much more nuanced actual discussions around, around topics. And, and overall, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin economy can actually grow a lot. Your BTC can become more valuable if more developers are building things in the, in, in the Bitcoin ecosystem. In an ecosystem where innovation is the norm, it's the basics that are in the spotlight. Nexo is a company that has never put the safety of clients' funds in question. With over 50 global licenses, $775 million in insurance, and a real-time audit of custodial assets, Nexo sets an example for security standards in the industry. Apart from keeping their 5 million clients safe, Nexo has kept building. They've just announced their non-custodial smart wallet. Visit nexo.io, that's N-E-X-O .io, and sign up today. This episode is brought to you by Circle, the sole issuer of USDC and a leader in crypto that's held to a higher standard. USDC is a fast, safe, and efficient way to send money around the globe. USDC is always redeemable one-to-one -one for US dollars and has over $45 billion in circulation as of October 13th, 2022. Plus, Circle posts weekly reserve reports and monthly attestations of reserve capital, letting users know that USDC is safe, transparent, and compliant with regulations. Just go to circle.com backslash transparency to see why USDC is a trusted stablecoin. As one of the largest, longest-lasting, and most secure exchanges, Kraken sets the example for transparency and trust while delivering on their mission to empower people with new ways to connect and transact. Millions of people around the world count on the Kraken mobile app as the easiest, safest, and most flexible way to start building their crypto portfolio. Kraken's industry-leading security keeps your funds and information safe, and their award-winning client engagement teams are available for support 24-7. Download the Kraken app on Google Play or the Apple App Store, or visit kraken.com slash breakdown to join. I agree with entirely with the sort of wanting wanting more builders, but I think I would say that there's even within the context of people who are non technical, there's more room for phil for for philosophical nuance than than is given credit. 
And I wonder to what extent, and I'm interested in your take on this, to what extent you have folks who have discovered Bitcoin and who, um, who, who find themselves attracted to some of the very, just the very core functionality, what it means to have sort of a non-sovereign store of value and, and currency-like thing and want to contribute to it, but because of the example of sort of social media, feel like the only way to contribute to it is to quote-unquote defend it online at all costs, when actually they're even, again, not being non-technical, there's other things that they could be doing to sort of better uh, defend, support, grow, and evangelize Bitcoin. Do you, think that the, do you think that there's an aspect of sort of people wanting to contribute but feeling like the only path is yelling on Twitter, basically? Yeah, I, th I think there's some of that, right? And I think there is also uh, like the same energy could be spent uh, in, in my view, more healthy directions as well. Like, a, like a great example is um, the broader Bitcoin community has picked up on, hey, self custody is good, right? I think that's a great thing, and they evangelize that. And whenever they are evangelizing self custody, I'm like plus one, awesome, you know, everyone, everyone should try for self custody, but. They have also realized that centralized exchanges are bad, right? Again, sort of like a good thing that telling people that, hey, be careful of centralized actors. Uh, these are central points of failure. They haven't made the logical conclusion that this also means that decentralized exchanges are good, right? So if, if a lot of, lot of Bitcoiners are, you know, publicly saying that anyone building a decentralized exchange in the Bitcoin ecosystem is doing God's work, like, I think that is... That's the logical conclusion from the previous two things, but they haven't really made that conclusion. And I think part of that is also because of um, where they're learning stuff, right? So even, even though Bitcoin is like very, very decentralized, there are sources of information. There are certain people that uh, people follow or look up to or certain magazines people read. And I think those circles are not paying enough attention to these applications because the general narrative has been Everything that's that's happening in the rest of like non-Bitcoin uh, crypto industry is bad, and I think that there, there needs to be more nuanced stuff about from first principles. Like, like let's let's look at like privacy enabling features. It it goes very much hand in hand with with Bitcoin culture that this is my money. Uh, just like it's hard to track cash, it should be hard to track my my Bitcoin spending as well, right? But they are not open to zk based. Uh, solutions that might come with layers like Stacks or, or, or others uh, that can help with that. I, I think one way to think of this, their hate for Ethereum or the rest of crypto is bigger than the benefits that Bitcoin can actually get from some of these applications that are actually really good for Bitcoin. Yeah, there's almost like an original sin of a technology first having, or even a terminology, and this is interesting, having first been associated with non-Bitcoin things, right? Like, Decentralized finance is a, it's a neutral term, but it's not because it's associated with Ethereum and now other uh, layer ones, right? Absolutely. I think this is a classic like not invented hair syndrome. And the, and the funny thing is, it's not even that case. NFTs were invented on Bitcoin, right? Like uh, a lot of these ICO fundraisers were invented on Bitcoin. Even like the ideas of DAOs were first discussed uh, on, on Bitcoin, like uh, Namecoin, the first fork of Bitcoin, or even like a sidechain that had a different asset uh, the, for domain names, it was started by Bitcoin, supported by Satoshi, right? So it's a little bit like people think it's like not invented here and that's why it's bad. It's actually all these things were invented on Bitcoin. It's just that it was, it was a long time ago and people have forgotten what, what the original Bitcoin community used to be like.
Well, and I think too, there, there's the one that might be the hardest for some people to debate is whether tokens can ever be used as an organizing function for, for any of these. I think that, you know, I think that even when you see, when you have Bitcoiners who are okay with the idea of sort of, you know, layer twos doing things, they'll still have that question of, of tokens as an organizing mechanism. And I think that those, every cycle when we see how tokens can be used to misalign financial incentives, those sort of uh, convictions get higher, you know, and, and makes it more challenging in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think this, is, this is really about if you look at this as a spectrum. Um, I think since 2013, when my friends or family would ask me about crypto or, or Bitcoin, I would tell them that, look, Bitcoin is the least risky thing out there. It has the clear use case of like being a store of value or hard money. If you want to dabble in this area, go learn for yourself. But if you're really putting your money, buy Bitcoin, right? If you really must go experiment elsewhere, take a small amount and consider that like throw away money and do that. But the bulk of your your holdings should actually be in Bitcoin. And that used to be a pretty normal message that a lot of Bitcoin people would, would give to, to newcomers uh, back back in like 2013 or so. And I think over time, since 2017, it, the, the message has become a lot more uh, extreme on one end of the spectrum, that you are either Bitcoin only or you are just this bad person, right? Whereas most Bitcoin owners... They hold like maybe like, I don't know, 80, 90% of Bitcoin. They also hold other stuff, right? Like, who are we kidding? Let's be realistic. Most Bitcoin people actually hold other assets. But it became almost like socially unacceptable to talk about it or to say that, hey, yeah, there's Bitcoin and there are these experimental things that you can go and play around with. And I think that was the cultural shift that is really at the heart of it, that you've just taken a very extreme stance, which is actually doesn't even apply to a lot of Bitcoin. Right, like there, there might be very few uh, people who are literally, literally Bitcoin only, and they literally don't hold anything else. In light of that, do you feel like this year, sort of the growing debate and discussion around maximalism and maximalism alternatives, has been healthy for Bitcoin? I think, I think I have, uh, I've sort of concluded a few things about maximalism. One is there are benefits, and I think we should we should recognize that, and the benefits are. But their message is very simple, right? Because they're on one extreme end of the spectrum, the message is very, very simple. They're like, Bitcoin only, forget about everything else, just do this. And, and if people follow that advice, they will actually be better off, right? They will be better off than, than uh, getting, you know, burned by some experimental projects and so on. So I, I can't disagree with the message in terms of like a very simple thing. I think it's the energy spent trying to hate other things that's, I feel like it's just not healthy. But I've also sort of concluded that I don't think they're going away either, right? Like it's, a, it's a thing where every cycle, when new, when new people come in and they lose money, Bitcoin maximalism becomes very appealing to them, right? So it's a, it's a little bit like, uh, I learned my lesson, now I'm going towards purity, right? And there's the church of Bitcoin that is hammering the same message every single day. And people find that satisfying, right? Like it's simple. It's something they can understand. They can get behind it. And it's actually good for them in some ways, right? Like for a normal person, uh, if you are, if you're like, I, I still hold most of my uh, savings. Like I put my life savings into Bitcoin, like 2013, 2014. I still hold Bitcoin. Like I, so I can't disagree with the message. So I would say my conclusion is it's not going away. So you need to sort of like learn to live with it. And the best way to learn to live with it is grow the Bitcoin developers uh, community, right? 
if there's a very healthy uh, community of builders who are intellectually curious or actually building useful things. And then the other, other thing is show, don't tell, right? Like arguments don't go anywhere, right? So in the end, markets decide like what, what technology wins or what people are using. So if there are like uh, a ton of users who are actually using decentralized applications around Bitcoin, to the extent that maybe most of Bitcoin L1 traffic is actually because of those applications, then you just have hard data that look, most Bitcoiners want to use these things. So no matter what you're saying on Twitter or other places, it doesn't matter. The market is indicating that these applications are useful and, and people want to use it. It's interesting. Earlier when you were talking about self-custody and you know, once you've self-custodied, how would you exchange, you know, uh, uh, Bitcoin for, for USDC or take a loan against it or something like that without then going back to a centralized exchange? And the phrase that kept rattling around in my head was something like functional self-custody. And, and it seems like a lot of what you're trying to build is if, if people are grokking this lesson of, uh, of self-custody following, you know, so much institutional failure in crypto this year, how do we make it more viable for them to keep uh, Bitcoin self-custodied throughout all the, the uses and life cycles of what that Bitcoin might do for them. Is that, is that a fair way to put it? Absolutely, right? So one, one is the point that you just pointed out, that this is much more practical self-custody. If I never have to go to a centralized exchange, I'm way better off than trying to go there and then deciding that I need to withdraw now and, and, and so on, right? This, the second thing is, again, back in the earlier days of Bitcoin, a lot of focus was growing the, the Bitcoin economy, right? So the bigger the pie becomes, the bigger the economy of BTC is, uh, the better it is for Bitcoin. So according to that school of thought, which I still think is true, if a lot of people are trading BTC for NFTs and there's like billions of dollars of trading going on, that is good for Bitcoin. If you look at the last cycle, so many people got introduced to uh, these technologies and private keys and self-custody through NFTs. And you, you can't hate what normal people want to do. People, if people want to have fun with monkey pictures, that's their decision. Like Bitcoin stands for freedom. And what you need to realize is that by not having BTC NFTs or Bitcoin BTC trading against NFTs, the Bitcoin ecosystem is actually losing out because you're leaving space for other forms of money like ETH so, so many, like millions of people came in and they skipped Bitcoin, right? They are holding ETH in their, in their self-custody wallet and they're, they are, they're, trading, they're treating ETH as money. All of that, I think if, if NFTs and obviously Stacks has done a lot, most of the Bitcoin NFT traffic that you would see happens, happens in Stacks. There's obviously counterparty on directly Bitcoin L1. But what, what, what we are saying is uh, Growing the Bitcoin economy, if let's say the, the Bitcoin use grew by billions of dollars because of NFTs or stable coins or other types of use cases, that's actually really, really good for Bitcoin, both for the value of Bitcoin, the adoption of Bitcoin, for the education of Bitcoin. All of these things are really, really good. And I think those are, those are some of the differences. And I think another thing I would point out is a lot of people are also coming around to this. If you see... You know, there is now a healthy community of people who basically just don't associate with the more fundamentalist uh, philosophy. And they are publicly saying, look, I'm a Bitcoiner, but my views are different. Uh, and I think that's that's totally fine. And it, I think I, 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 I truly believe that there are more people, the normal Bitcoiners, they actually associate more with the early Bitcoin community, where it was not as strict on, hey, every every... 
every application is a is a sin or 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 bad like they would actually evaluate things uh in a more nuanced way and they had different ideas for how to how to grow the bitcoin economy i think it it is seeing a revival now if if anything well on that line maybe my last question is what do you think a successful 2023 looks like for bitcoin and what's required to get there so i think one thing is Claire, that uh, when the markets crash, people uh, people go back to Bitcoin. It feels like the less risky thing, and it becomes very clear that if if Bitcoin falls, everything else falls. If Bitcoin comes up, everything else is going to come up. So I think Bitcoin has again survived the test of time. It remained the largest asset by far during the last bull market and and even in the bear market. Uh, so for so the first lesson is Bitcoin is not going away. Right. So all those theses around Bitcoin is going to become irrelevant. It's just not playing out right now. So it's, I think this is the time to take a really hard look. That if Bitcoin has staying power, which I truly believe it does, then what what are the things that can be done in the Bitcoin ecosystem? Because that is a big mismatch that I see right now in terms of developer attention going to non-Bitcoin ecosystems uh, versus developer attention going to Bitcoin innovation. And I think that's that's where we are trying to play a role. And we really really think. With the launch of the the decentralized peg, uh, the the two-way peg, and other systems, like I think we can make a huge dent in twenty twenty-three on this. Uh, awesome, yeah. And let's actually close there, just so people have uh, have a next step. You guys just put out, or not you guys, but you as a part of uh, larger groups, just put out these two papers. Could you just briefly briefly say kind of what these these two were? Yes. So I think the the decentralized Bitcoin peg problem has been uh, a huge challenge uh, for the last ten years or so. Uh, if you look at you know uh, Blockstream, which is a very respected company in the, in the in the Bitcoin ecosystem, when they started, the original paper that they put out was about sidechains, right? They were they they believe in a way believe in that thesis that by creating these sidechains where you can move your BTC, use it in more experimental applications, and then take it back is really good for Bitcoin. I think the, where the difference is that a lot of energy in the Bitcoin ecosystem, including by Blockstream and others has gone into trying to enable these things without using tokens. And that's a, that's a double-edged sword, right? Like, because what happens is these folks hate the fact that there's another token other than Bitcoin, and I can totally understand that as a Bitcoiner. But that token is also bringing the economic incentives to create the, the layer, right? Or, or give the economic security to that layer, right? So without that, you end up with federated systems like Liquid. Liquid is a federation. Everyone knows that. So people need to now trust the federation for moving BTC into the federation and then out, which as a developer is not that interesting, right? I don't want, I don't want to be dependent on a, on a company that can go bankrupt and then my application is gone, right? Because I was trusting a federation. Or, or for, for, for users, you can't trust any company with billions of dollars of BTC, as we have seen, right? Company or a set of companies, a federation is really a set of companies. So you can't do that. And I think that has held back the Bitcoin economy by a lot. So if you can have these pegs that are secured by economic security, similar to how Bitcoin in the, at the end of the day is secured by economic security, uh, miners have economic incentive to come in and mine, and it's an open system. Anyone can come in, uh, come in and out. If you design the peg that way, anyone can come in and out for being a signer, and they have economic incentives to manage the peg. Now it's an open system. Now there can be free flow of BTC from the main chain into the layer and back. And I think that was a very, very critical uh, uh, thing that we, meaning again, there are a bunch of anonymous contributors to this, people who have 
worked on this problem for a very long time. We think it's a major unlock that if you can have this trust minimized way of moving your BTC in and out, no federation in the middle, no kind of like trust in any specific entities in the middle, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty big deal. Awesome. All right. Well, Munib, it's always great to have you on the show. Uh, love your insights here. Excited to keep building with you in 2023. So happy new year and uh, happy holidays to your family and look forward to chatting again soon. Yeah, same to you. Happy holidays and always, always great to chat. Thank you so much. Cheers. All right, back to NLW here. And just by way of wrapping up, the thing I keep thinking about is this idea of what it means to make self-custody functional. One of the big takeaways from the collapse of so many crypto institutions this year is a return to the importance of self-custody, not your keys, not your coins. And if we think about the spectrum of people who resonate with that and who do self-custody, I imagine that there's probably a spectrum. Some only want to store their value, nothing else. They just want to have their Bitcoin in a safe place and keep it there forever. On the other end of the spectrum are people who want to be able to use their value storing asset in a wide array of ways. I suspect most people are in the middle somewhere, and even to the extent that they slant towards just wanting to store value, there are some core functionalities of that that might need to get built. Part of what makes Bitcoin so good as a store of value asset is how usable it is. By usable, I mean, among other things, that in bad circumstances it can be sold. When Tesla sold a big chunk of its Bitcoin holdings to help its Q2 balance sheet, some saw it as a betrayal, but I saw it as validation of what makes Bitcoin a better balance sheet asset than something like gold, which is hard to sell. It means that you can use Bitcoin for what you need it when you need it based on changing business circumstances. To me, Tesla being able to sell Bitcoin so easily without tanking the value of it made it look like a better, not a worse balance sheet asset. I think the same applies to individuals who, whatever their best intentions, are going to go through a variety of experiences, situations, and contexts which might change how they need to interact with their Bitcoin. Now, of course, some will say, yeah, but if you just have to sell it, centralized exchanges are fine for that, but I think that might be missing the point. As a general rule, having self-custody be an entree to a more functional set of experiences with more optionality that reflects the full range of HODLer needs seems to me like a valuable thing to spend some time on. Anyway, interesting thoughts coming off that conversation. Thanks again to Munib for joining me. Thanks to my sponsors, Nexo.io, Circle and Kraken for supporting the show. And thanks to you guys for listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace. <laughs>